Welcome to the 73rd episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. We're here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about the rules of engagement for meetings and conference calls. So we've done some discussion in the past about how meetings should be run. We'll rehash a little bit of that quickly here. Episode 47 has us talking for 15, 18 minutes about all of that. I wanted to talk this week a little bit more specifically about the the kind of narrow topic of meeting etiquette, conference call etiquette, in particular with microphones and headsets. Um, we'll get to that a little bit later, but that's where we are today. A lot of this came out of a visit that I had to my family's house um, a couple weeks ago, and my dad was asking why I was so particular about having my headset. And... The owner of our company, of the company that Jack and I work for, is very particular about the audio quality of conference calls. And we'll get to more of that later, but that was the genesis of this week's episode. You know, that reminds me of the old AT&T commercials. If you're of a certain age and used to a landline, the phrase, reach out and touch someone, probably rings a bell. There's a bad pun. And I remember the days when you picked up a phone a phone with a landline and called somebody and talked to them and heard them almost like they were in the next room. Especially if you had a you know a reasonably reasonable phone, which at that time were easy to come by. And today that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Every phone call, cell phone call conversation you have is is compressed and, and encrypted. So the carrier can fit as much data over the bandwidth they have as they can. Saves them money to give you less bandwidth. So talking on the phone or cell phone is no longer an enjoyable experience. And part of the, of the glory of using teleconferencing tools like Zoom and Google Groups and Skype and insert your favorite teleconferencing tool here is that the audio quality is 18 bazillion times better than using your cell phone. The other person actually sounds like what they sound like in person. So part of part of my love affair with teleconferencing, and not only is our ability to do it so easily, but the fact that you can really be in the same room as somebody else across the ocean. And you're never going to defeat the speed of light. So if you're talking to somebody who is nine time zones away, you're never going to have a completely synchronous phone call with them. It just, it won't, it doesn't work that way. But you do everybody's, everybody a, a huge favor and a huge service by doing what you can to minimize background noise, to minimize crosstalk, to get a clean place to talk and listen from so you can hear them and you can appreciate what they're saying. This is particularly important when you're having a technical conversation and you're trying to be understood. You don't want a, a misspoken word or an unheard thing or a, a car siren outside interrupting your ability to have a conversation with somebody else. Let's say the company you work for had a large unexpected event and everything is now buttoned up again and you're in the incident review meeting trying to nail down exactly what happened develop a timeline and make sure that everyone fully understands how we can prevent the incident in the future. Being able to communicate those technical details clearly 
with good audio setup and good meeting etiquette will make that meeting be so much more enjoyable. It'll be faster and generally just less painful. Absolutely. And I want to recap a little bit of kind of basic etiquette when it comes to doing meetings in general, not just conference calls, not just any meetings. Um, And we talked about this in episode 47, like I mentioned, but really comes down to a couple of things. Have an agenda of some variety. Have people know why they're in the room. If that's not distributed a couple hours beforehand, people are coming in and you're going to spend the first chunk of the meeting getting everybody else up to speed about why they're even there. Or they're going to idle in the corner kind of trying to pick up context. And that's not how you want to spend people's time. because or not time, come. Yeah, well, and time is money. You, you don't want to use up people's limited daily work product on, am I supposed to be in this meeting? That, that's, not a, that's not a good thing. And it goes without saying that inviting people at the last minute is also just as bad. Even if the meeting is well-planned and the agenda has been distributed, giving somebody two minutes notice that they need to be coming into the meeting, it, it throws off their day. It throws off their cadence. They don't really know why they're there or they're being defensive because they're trying to figure out if they're, if they're being blamed for something. That's never, that's never so good. And finally, keep in mind that every person in the meeting, like I, said, I mentioned a minute ago, their presence is hours of their salary that are not being spent doing something else. So let's say you're having a, a large daily stand-up and you have 10 engineers in the room. And just to make the math simple, let's say the average salary in the room is $100,000 a year for the engineers. Figure that people work about 2,000 hours a year. So that half-hour call every day or that half-hour meeting every day with the 10 engineers is $250 a day just to have those people in the room. Is that a value you want to spend? I mean, if it is, if if you get value out of it, by all means, do it. That doesn't even count benefits in healthcare. Of course not. But think about think about the the number of hours multiplied by the number of people, so you don't needlessly spend that that portion of the company's assets on having people who don't really need to be in a meeting idling in a meeting. Okay, that's out of the way. Conference calls. And this is where we get into it. Um, ah, yes. Where to, where to, where to begin? Um, you know, I think we should sit down and have this meeting. And, oh my gosh, I'm a little bit hungry. Mm. So, mm. yeah, no. All right, let's, um, Move this over here. Mm. All right. How you doing, Brendan? Yeah. My blood pressure is up. For the love of holy Jesus, please, please do not eat a bag of chips during a conference call. Don't tap your fingers on a table. Don't open a can of soda. Like, all of those things are being broadcast into any remote listener's ears. Or, even worse, it's being broadcast into another meeting room, and everybody in that room is being forced to listen to that. And they're usually trying to listen to the words that somebody else is saying. And now they're trying to also mentally filter out their local background noise and the background noise in the remote room. This is a really hard task. It makes meetings burn people out really fast. 
So a bag of Cheez-Its or a bag of chips or anything in that lovely cellophane bag is is basically verboten in any reason whatsoever for any sort of teleconferencing recorded call. The crackling of that bag is so easily and so well picked up by any microphone. And the I've sat through meetings where you know people are eating a bag of chips or passing out snacks. And yeah, I just want to jab my ears with a drill. So that's most definitely my uh, biggest pet peeve. The one thing I feel that a lot of people don't realize is that most teleconferencing rooms and a lot of smaller rooms in conference centers or companies or what have you usually has a polycom-like device, a Zoom-like box that sits on the table that is a combination speaker microphone or has a speaker that's on the table. And if you remember the polycom, the three-pointed polycom star mics from back in the day, it, it means you're of a certain age. But we also all remember exactly how awful those things were to operate and to listen to the and try to... The thing is, those devices that have the speaker directly on top of the table turn the entire conference table into a microphone. So... When you reach to grab the HDMI cable and pull those cables across the conference table to plug in your Mac to share your screen, you have just irradiated everybody's ears on the on the other side of the teleconferencing call. Pet peeve number two. Yeah, it's it's very terrible. I have had coworkers who have been known to stop meetings and ask, say, okay, who, who's on the conference call who is eating a bag of chips? Who's on the conference call that's drinking a soda? Who's tapping their fingers? Who's typing loudly onto their keyboard? Because it distracts everybody who's remote so much that it's really painful to kind of get a beat on what's going on. Being remote, being not in the office, using teleconferencing, you want to get as much out of that personal experience of being there face-to-face as you can. Teleconferencing is never going to replace face-to-face conversations, but you want to get as much of that out of the tool that you can. And setting up unnecessary barriers to understanding what's being said, or in general, just, I'm not sure how else to describe it, but ear pain of... I know it has a detrimental effect on how I participate and how I listen and what I take away from these meetings. So at a, at a very basic level, if you are running an ad hoc meeting and there isn't a, a built system in the room for handling audio video, don't use your laptop microphone. Don't just point your laptop at a group of people and have everybody talk. Pet peeve number three. Never use your laptop's mic and speaker set for your teleconferencing. Actually, just don't use them at all. Never. They are amazingly and unfortunately cheap components. The uh, feedback detection happens in software and is quite a bit delayed Um compared to professional equipment or other equipment that you can easily buy for 30 bucks. And once you, once you use a, the microphone and speakers that are on your laptop, you get all of the room noise 
there's no advanced filtering or yeah. Um, I love listening to people talk to their Alexa on their, their teleconferencing call because they can't uh, use anything but their laptops, uh, built-in speaker and microphone. I've been able to issue Alexa commands through a teleconferencing call to other people's things because of their use of laptop speakers and microphones. That was a good one. I also want to call out that adjacent to the microphone in your laptop is the keyboard of your laptop. And that is where the most, to me, the most offensive noise on conference calls comes from. That the person who's hosting the conference call is taking notes of the call and they're typing while the call is going on. And all I hear is tick, 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 tick. Or a lot louder. And it makes me want to die. And in general, getting more than one person in front of a laptop with just the built-in mic and speakers to be able to fully participate in the meeting is really difficult. And again, you're limiting the participation that you can get out of that meeting. You're limiting the knowledge flow that can happen during that meeting. Why are you having that meeting? So to get away from the basic laptop pattern for a group call, you can get these UFO-looking microphone pucks that plug in via USB. They generally have some reasonable DSPs in them to do at least the most basic um, feedback cancellation and echo cancellation. I want to say they're 100 bucks a piece. They're not terrible, maybe 150 a piece. You could almost certainly get work to, to buy one for you if you really need to do kind of ad hoc on-the-go conference calls. I totally did. And they're great investments. They really are. They they look kind of cheesy, but they work. Do look cheesy. Uh, let's stick one in the show notes, Brendan. Sure. Uh, the Jabra speaker line of teleconferencing pucks, speakers, I'm not sure exactly what to call them, uh, but they work amazingly well. They're small enough to put in your laptop bag. And so if you have, if you find yourself in an ad hoc meeting where you've got three or four people around a table, you can run Zoom or Skype on your laptop as far as the application and video, and you can use the the Jabra speaker in the middle of the table, which does really pretty good audio. Um, both microphone speaker has good feedback rejection. Is generally a really great tool. Uh, yeah. The one I have is, I think, 130 bucks, easily available on Amazon. Um, that's not the first tool in my tool bag, but one of the things I definitely recommend if you're, if if you end up working remote or travel a lot. The other thing, of course, that is completely not negotiable is having a reasonable set of headphones, like a headset that you can use for conference calls when it's just you. Oh my these, god! A cheap set, a cheap headset, even. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say these don't have to be crazy expensive, you know, podcast or studio broadcast quality things. You can get a very reasonable set of twenty twenty five dollar USB headsets. Stick them in your bag. When they break, you get another pair. They're they're versatile. Yeah, there's a pair of Logitech headset easily available at Amazon. It's like twenty three bucks. It's the microphone is noise canceling. It's USB. Uh, one of my favorite features about that one is it has an inline hardware mute. Uh, so 
you can easily click the button for mute uh, before you have a coughing fit. Another good suggestion. Uh, that's a really handy feature. It's super cheap. If your company can't buy them, you can buy one without breaking the bank or being concerned, hopefully. And especially if you do a lot of remote working, if it's just you participating um, in your laptop for a teleconferencing call, the Logitech headset is my go-to setup for what I use. And I'm actually going to quibble with something you just said, Jack. Uh-oh. If I really don't like the pattern that people get into of, I'm going to mute so I can cough. I much prefer the pattern of, I'm going to unmute so I can talk. This, Yeah, you're right. This makes sure that you never have a hot mic, you never have a door slam, you never have a dog bark in the background, you never accidentally brush into the mic or mutter under your breath and get yourself in trouble. You are swear under your breath. Yeah, you are always intentionally speaking, and not you're not you're not covering up a cough. You are opening up to talk, and it's a much better pattern and habit to be in. It respects the ears of your listeners more, and it makes especially when you have five or six or seven people on a call. Yeah, the benefit of this pattern is if there's more than two or three people on the call, the collective background noise really starts to build up and really starts to be distracting. If you can have everyone follow that policy of stay muted. In fact, uh, a lot of the teleconferencing clients, I knew Zoom can, there's a setting that you can set to mute yourself upon joining the call. And if everyone stays muted, the call is is much more clear. It's so much more like being face-to-face. It's so much easier to, to communicate. And actually, Zoom has a push-to-talk feature that I discovered recently that if you have it on mute, you can hold the space bar down and have that unmute you. So while basically, while you're holding the space bar, you can talk and then you take your hand off the keyboard and you're back to being silent again. So it, it adds again that, that intentionality to speaking, which I find yeah. very, very helpful. I have a certain friend that I believe DIY'd himself up a foot pedal to unmute himself. Yeah, it was more trouble than it's worth. <laughs> it works. I I'm, wish I'm, things like that was easier. I'm using it right now. Um, <laughs> the, the mechanics of it are actually very simple. It was the the software implementation that I'm using got a little crazy. At some point, I'm going to rewire it to go for an XLR plug instead of doing software mute, and that will guaranteed solve my problem. Mm. It takes two, two wires to make a circuit, boys and girls. So another uh, backup plan that I always keep in my tech bag that goes with me everywhere um, clearly, I have my Logitech headphone set, which I use primarily. But, you know, sometimes shit happens. You pass through an airport, somebody sits on your bag, your headset's broken. Any number of random things can happen. I always keep a set of, of you're going to laugh, the Apple Basic earbuds in my bag. They're wired, they're dependable, they sound very reasonable, they have a mute button. It's one of the better sets of earbuds you can get. Have built-in mic, built-in volume and mute, hides away really easily. Worst case, that is a really good option to use when participating in a teleconferencing call. Much, much, much better than using the built-in mic and speakers. So the next thing I want to bring up is something that a lot of people disagree with me on, but I hold pretty firm with this, is that if you don't have to, don't turn on video. 
a lot of people, especially people who are remote, have internet connections that may not be as robust as yours. If somebody is joining from their house or a coffee shop or a remote site that doesn't have a high-speed link, trying to bring in lots of different simultaneous video streams from all the participants in the meeting can crater their connection. And if they're trying to figure out what people look like and they're they're spending brain power on that side of the call they're not listening and they're not they're not getting the content of the call so unless everybody has a really solid connection just turn off your video everybody it it makes things easier it makes people less self-conscious about like scratching their forehead or whatever else and it saves bandwidth you know five years ago there were teleconferencing companies popping up left right and sideways and going out of business left right and sideways because, you know, some video and some audio pipe around the internet, it seems like a not hard problem on the surface. But part of the part of the fun in doing this is scale. When you have a, a company wide meeting with a couple hundred people on the on the call, a couple hundred video streams is a problem. And the 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 winners so far have been, you know, pretty obvious. Skype, Zoom, and they've figured out well how to handle issues of bandwidth. But yeah, I definitely agree with with you, Brendan. I rarely turn video on when I teleconference. I will I will use it more on one on one meetings when I'm just meeting with one other person to to better build up that sort of face to face conversation. But you know, if I'm in a, a group of people I just don't see a lot of reason to. I've gotten to the point where I have a dedicated machine that is set up to do my conference calling because my work machines are both plugged into the VPN. And I don't want to route all that video traffic over the VPN and then out the endpoint, you know, from here to say, I don't know, Boston or something, and then across the country to Texas and then route over to San Francisco. I'd rather just have my call route directly to San Francisco. So I have a dedicated machine that just does my AV stuff on it. And even that, I, I tend not to turn video on. I also tend not to do screen sharing. And I have very similar reasons that if you're doing screen sharing, especially if you're doing something that is dynamic in nature, the video compression algorithms don't handle fine detail very well. So everybody gets a blurry mess especially if it's something that's moving around the screen. So if you're sharing, say, I don't know, a Jira ticket or a Excel sheet, which you, if you're, but if you're sharing something that's work-related, bring it up on the screen and leave it be. Just let it sit there so people can let their video connections and let the compression algorithms, the compression algorithms kind of reassemble the picture so they can see it and they can read it. But if you keep moving it around, it's going to be impossible for the end user to track with it and it's going to be impossible for the codecs to keep up so people can actually understand what what it actually is on the screen. Remember that the compression codecs, well, the first priority is to send some type of a low-resolution picture. And as that picture is stationary and there's less use of bandwidth, the codec can send more and more detail. Otherwise, it just starts over again with a new image to send a low detail and then more detail along with it, which is an algorithm oddly enough based in calculus. But yeah, especially for low bandwidth people, it takes a few moments for that you know terminal screen you just shared 
with a, a VI session and some code in it to actually come into focus. Especially because a lot of laptops these days are, you know, they have retina screens and they have high resolution this and high, high, high resolution that. And all of the designers of applications want to take advantage of all this because it looks beautiful for you locally. But it's a lot of data to push over the line. Yeah, it's really difficult on the compression algorithm. So if you're going to use it, try to be respectful and try to keep your image as static as possible so people can follow along with you. I mostly share my screen trying to do presentations remote, which is a whole other episode. Um, and I'm usually pretty careful to use good slides that are fairly stationary and have large text and large images really some of the same techniques you would use in a face-to-face conference presentation. You want people to be able to see the images and read the detail on the slide. You don't want to have a slide that's so tiny and so busy, you can't hope to make sense of it. Um, but if I'm showing a, a demo, usually I will walk through the demo on my preparation time, screenshot each step, and show my screenshots. I know that's a totally cheater way to give a demo. But it works, and then you're not praying to the demo gods every time you do anything, and that's better. I've never had a blue screen of death during a demo. You don't use Windows. (laughs) I know your secrets. But yeah, um, another thing, Brendan, that you mentioned, I tend to use Linux a lot. It's my preferred sort of work environment. And I have a Mac laptop, that I use when I travel. It's fully usable environment, um, and I can definitely use it. But I keep that laptop off to the side, and I usually use it for video conferencing, audio conferencing. Mostly because the audio-video stuff just works. I love Linux to death, but it just works on the Mac. I also know that, especially really before Zoom started winning all the wars, um, if you if some company came up with some strange new video conferencing client, I knew it would run on my Mac. Please take the time to rate the show in Overcast, Apple Podcast, or your favorite podcast directory. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave a comment on the website at operations.fm. Send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm, or use at operations.fm on Twitter. And that wraps it up for the 73rd episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. Thanks, and good night. And those polycoms are still on eBay, folks. $15 a piece. <laughs>